we all respond to change and challenge in our own unique ways. And how we respond to change and challenge often reflects the privilege we hold and our capacity to sit with discomfort and conflict. So when we all shut down and sheltered in place back in March of 2020, I paid attention to how people were responding to this seismic shift in how they were doing life. Call it an occupational hazard, right? (laughs) I watched how the hard stop to doing life and business as usual brought many people to a crossroads that challenged their capacity and their values. Now we live in a world that holds high regard, even worships, hyper productivity and constant doing, often at the expense of our well-being and connection to ourselves and each other. And then there are times when something is stirring in you that you have to create or cultivate that feels bigger than you, but also connected to what matters most to you. It's less about grinding and proving and more about an expression of your deep values. I hold a special appreciation and deep respect for those who create, innovate, and disrupt, no matter how big or small the impact, because it all matters. Especially when others are shaking their collective heads and thinking your big idea is too risky or not logical, you move forward anyways, because to not move forward would be dishonest and to rob you of your peace. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with humans who navigate life's challenges and lead in their own ways. Our goal is to learn how they address the burdens they carry, how they learn from them, and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. So when you see a need or have a vision for something, what do you do? Especially when there's a lot going on in your life and in the world. Do you jump in and take action or do you get into your head with all the what ifs and to-do lists and all the reasons why this could go wrong, so much so that you don't even start to explore or take action? Now, I can do a little bit of both and I know I'm not alone. Sometimes I get a vision or see a path to doing something or a conversation that needs to be had. And a picture forms in my head that I can't shake until I download it through creating something or mobilizing people. I am restless until I can move this idea out of my head and into the world. And other times I get all in my head and go in circles, planning, strategizing, especially when something feels particularly vulnerable in my system or what I want to do is connected to proving my worth or my value. Now, I feel a deep compassion for all the ways we navigate change and struggle and getting things done, both in crisis and chronic struggles and day-to-day life. Though I sure feel a lot of frustration and anger, (laughs) even rage, when I see folks with power exploit and manipulate and double down on harmful ways of doing life and business. Ah, but then there are folks who catch my attention and fill me with hope and awe in how they take action and do something that supports the greater good, even when it feels too hard and there are many, many unknowns. These leaders respond to needs and suffering and out of left field ideas around them in ways that show they have done the reps every dang day in living their values, often when folks are not looking 
where it's a trendy thing to do. They take risks, make hard decisions, and commit to their values with laser focus while leading with generosity, boundaries, and tenacity. I watch these leaders navigate the internal and external critics and naysayers by looking them head on, addressing them, and then releasing them so they're not a priority connected to their worthiness or safety. And when I connect with leaders like these, I quickly learn about their long-term commitment to their own healing and a deep humility that their own inner work is never done and is deeply connected to being in service to others. And as they heal the burdens they carry, they break the cycle of pain by leading and creating in ways that heal themselves while also empowering those around them. With so much unknown when the pandemic hit, it would have been so easy for my guests today to keep their vision for a new business in their head and wait until things were less chaotic. (laughs) But they did the opposite. They dove head first into externalizing the vision for a new business that represented so much more than the products they were creating, but became a true extension of their DNA and values that not only created an amazing product, trust me, amazing, but also honored the people in their business and allowed them to give back to those in the city in which they live. Three years ago, Jeffrey Brown, a Pulitzer Prize-nominated photographer, and his partner, Jennifer Chen, an e-commerce specialist, started Azola a bakery making hot, fresh sourdough bread, croissants, and the most amazing rolls. They would lower orders down to their customers in a basket from their transformed photography studio at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, three years later, they are a thriving hub in our city here in San Diego, preparing to expand to a new headquarters that will allow many to experience Azola's special baked goods beyond San Diego. So let me tell you about Jeffrey. Jeffrey is a prolific business builder who is passionate about creating fully immersive experiences from reimagining the bakery industry and serving hot from the oven sourdough and croissants, resulting in San Diego's only five-star bakery to telling Pulitzer-recognized stories through film and photography. And Jennifer Chen has a background in e-commerce and has spent the last 20 years building multi-million dollar brands in the areas of merchandising, product development, and business development. Now, as the co-founder of Azola, Jennifer has been able to utilize this experience and apply it to a whole new industry. Now, listen for how a dream of Azola kicked off at the start of the pandemic and how their business grew by word of mouth only. Pay attention to when Jenny credits going to therapy from the start of their relationship and how that's fueled the success of both their relationship and their business today. And notice when Jeffrey shared the heart of Azola and what it means to him to create a business that honors all people. Now, my apologies for some sound issues at the beginning. Hang in there. It is worth it. Now, please welcome Jeffrey Brown and Jennifer Chen to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Jeffrey and Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. That's so, so stoked to be here. Thanks for having us on, Rebecca. I've been looking for this conversation and I'd love to kick off by taking me back 
to June of 2020, when you lowered your first fresh out of the oven baked goods, lovingly placed in a basket and kind of pulled down three stories to your first customers. What was that day like for the both of you? Jeffrey, why don't you start us off? Well, you know, it, it was kind of an epiphanal moment for me because, you know, I'd been in that space at that point 20 years, you know, and never really thought of lowering out thing, anything out the window. But, you know, lowering that hand over hand down in that time period when COVID was raging and there were no shots and we were all scared, you know, and just with the idea that we could bring a little bit of joy to folks. And when I saw that first person pull that box out and take a bite of that hot from the oven croissant, I tell you, I, I was hooked. And, and, and honestly, my the course of my life changed in that moment. Wow. How about for you, Jennifer? Sure. Yeah. You know, it was exciting and thrilling, as Jeffrey said, but it was also for us, I think, quite, quite unknown. You know, we were going through a lot at the time. And this was something that, to be honest, we just thought we were going to do for a few months. Um, a great way for us to reconnect with the community uh, while we were all sequestered at home at the time. So we were just looking for a way to just safely say hi to our neighbors. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, tell me more about what led you to open a bakery, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic. So passion, passion for food. So Jeffrey loves eating bread at every single meal. It's a staple for him. He had been making, you know, loaves of bread just as a hobby. I am a passionate eater of food. I just love eating. I have always joked that if I could create the career of a lifetime, it would be to just eat professionally. Unbeknownst to me, <laughs> we, we've created that. So I think, you know, that, that definitely was, was a part of it, but it was really about, about connecting with our community as well. Mm. What would you add to that, Jeffrey? Well, you know, as couples sometimes do, I have a bit a different recall of that. I basically think that Jenny dared me to do it, like to stop talking about it and just do it. And so we did it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I've been talking about opening a bakery for a long time and, you know, been a photographer and never done anything else and have absolutely no qualification to open a bakery other than, you know, I, I literally love hot bread. You know, I'll take it over croissants, over sourdough, mm -hmm. over dessert of any kind, you know, so... She's just like, so let's do it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. He essentially took, he took two days off of, of off, you know, when COVID hit, um, he took two days off and was like, okay, what am I, what am I going to do now? I'm going to mm. open that bakery. Yeah. And he hit the ground running. We got home from Europe, what, like, uh, early March and we had Isola on its feet and serving our first customers by June, by June 10th. Wow. And it blew up by word of mouth. You didn't do any formal promotions. This was literally a grassroots business. Is that correct? Absolutely. At the beginning and, and still to this date, to be honest, you know, it's, uh, it really has been just all, all from the heart. And it's been amazing to see the community really respond to that. You know, I, I, what we have found is a, a community that is just passionate about being together and enjoying great things and just slowing down a little bit, slowing down and having a, a you know, a cup of coffee and a cup and a, and a croissant um, when our lives are just so busy these days. Absolutely. Especially since we've gotten back to the swing of things, it's, it's almost like we, we've lost that beauty of that uh, pause, you know, and it's interesting because I heard about you through a client 
um, who was, he was like, oh, I've got a stomach ache. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, no, it's a good one. I just got this amazing bread and I just, I ate past fullness, but it was worth it. And I'm like, what, where is this place? And he told me, and as soon as we were done, I Googled it. And then I read about your vision, your business. And I thought, oh my gosh. And so literally like put my order in and boogied down there um, days later. And my family was just like over the moon. And I was actually, I actually went there this morning. I actually got to meet you in person, Jeffrey. And I grabbed our family's favorites that I'm showing you right now. This is the chocolate croissant. And I lived in Europe. I lived in Switzerland. So like I, I can be a little bit of a food and especially bread snobs. Yeah, <laughs> it's coming back right? to the States. <laughs> okay. But this Tahitian vanilla roll, like when my family was biting into it, I was like, no, don't rush it. Let the let the flavors wash over your mouth. You know, just like people would talk about wine. And I'm like, did you get that? Did you get that extra flavor? And they're like, okay, they're like, mom, chill out. But um, so I'm just holding up these beautiful pastries that are a work of art. And I, I want to hear more about your actual process. But first, walk me through the vision for Isola. And and again, what really sets you apart from a lot of businesses is this intentional intersection you have cultivated between food, social justice, and environmental stewardship. What are the practices that you have in place that really bring these values into the lived experiences for both your team, but also for your customers? You know, I, I would like to say that, you know, in April of 2020, we sat down for a cup of coffee and laid all this out, but we didn't, you know. We took it one step at a time and I, I use the word intentional. I think that it, that's a great, you know, you know, that's a great word in the sense that we have tried to decide, uh, you know, on, on every choice and not just kind of let it flow randomly. And so, you know, mm. the business is a reflection of Jennifer, Jenny and myself values personally. And so we, you know, but that came a little bit later. We really just were like, okay. We're here. We got time. We got a, we've got a, a community that is hurting right now. And so we want to get out and, and try to just add a little pop of joy to, you know, a scary, you know, a little scary time. If you remember back to that, you know, we were afraid of each other. We were afraid of dying. Sure. We were afraid of COVID. We we're afraid of all of it. So, you know, we would be like, okay, we're going to make, you know, we're going to make a good croissant. You know, we didn't set out to make, you know, the best croissant or anything else. We we're just like, well, we're going to make a good croissant. We're going to, you know, because we couldn't get any warm bread anywhere. And so we would just, you know, we put it up on Instagram. We would lower it out the window in that basket and down it would go. And so then another decision would come. Uh, do we want to make something else? And so we would try something. We'd be like, we don't love it. So it's not going in there. So that's kind of the intentionality. And then as we started to gather momentum and, you know, and after the first six or something months, we started to bring some folks in to help us. And so, you know, we're like, okay, how do we want to treat, uh, you know, what kind of community do we want for, you know, the folks who are on the team? Well, what, and, you know, as you start to generate some sales, you also have some power, you know, to, you know, to, to affect mm. change. We don't have to ask anyone for permission. We don't have to get a government grant. We don't have to do anything. We just do things the way we think is right and the way we want to be treated. Mm. Jenny, what would you add to that? Really, I think that you know the brand of Isola is a reflection of who Jeffrey and I are truly as people. We didn't, as he said, you know, we didn't sit down and strategize what our business plan would be or or what market would be, be the best fit for this product. 
what it really is, is an, ex- an expression of how we live our lives. And so the economic justice, environmental justice, gender justice, those are all things that are incredibly important to us in our day-to-day lives and have always been. And so they just naturally came out. They came out in how we do business. Um, and we weren't necessarily, you know, connecting it to a revenue stream or a revenue model. Um, it really was just what felt right for us. So I don't think it actually ever was a question mm-hmm. for us as that started to be expressed within the brand um, for that to become some central pillars for Isola. Mm. One of the things that stood out, one of the many things that stood out when reading about the vision was wanting to pay your team well, in addition to being extremely particular on where you source your product. Talk to me a little bit about building your team. Leading, it's one thing when it's the two of you and your dream, but as you expand, how have you maintained your vision and the expression of your values and what you both believe and what does that look like in the hiring practices and how you pay and how you care for your team? I will say that this for me has been the biggest learning curve and we have made a lot of mistakes and I think we will continue to make them because the way that we lead a team will probably evolve as that team changes and grows as well. So when it was the two of us and then we added on our very first first team member, Spencer, um, that was very, very different from where we are today. But you know, there have been several stages throughout the evolution of Isola where we're approaching it a little bit differently. You know, we had um, really familial sort of community and environment amongst our team when we were seven and, you know, seven team members or less. As we grow to beyond seven to about 10 plus, it becomes really different. You know, we had to really figure out how we could evolve the way we communicate with our team members because we could no longer communicate with each, with each and every team member mm-hmm. directly at that point, right? So how do we develop systems to ensure that each team member is seen and heard, um, but we can't have 10 people coming to us every single day. To, and it's just not manageable yeah. for us. And so along the way, we've really had to, to pivot the process um, and the way we, we lead the team um, as that team grows. And, you know, we, we've learned a lot. What's been one of the biggest learnings in that particular part of your business in terms of hiring and leading your team? There are no guarantees. And also just follow your gut. You know, well, I, I think that... Um, we have really straight, stayed true to kind of really hiring by the values that a person really exhibits and less about the resume they bring to the table. Because what we have learned is that we can teach, we could teach somebody to bake, we could teach somebody to make a croissant, but we can't really instill that passion and that hard work um, in somebody. Uh, and so, you know, all of our team leads right now, none of them, none of them came from the service industry or the baking and you know baking industry or they didn't go to culinary school for this it's all been taught by azola um, but they are all incredibly passionate about what they do and they come to work every day with their whole hearts like we, we can't teach that well i picked that up this morning when i had my surprise tour of the behind the scenes whether it was the place where you were dusting the bread or in the proofing room and got to meet some of these folks and that's something that definitely landed with me What's the heart? I didn't under, I didn't know the training. And you're, I really think there's a lot of wisdom there in hiring 
for values, um, for the person, and the skills can be taught. Um, that's a that's a really great lesson. Is there anything you would add, Jeffrey? Well, you know, just we began this process because we could hire for you know personal qualities as, as opposed to experience. But it's come to my attention that it's also a strategic, uh, uh, you know, advantage in the sense that. We don't need to hire folks who've been baking for five years or 20 years or something. So, you know, our pool of available people who can do amazing things is much, much larger, you know. So, mm. you know, and, and generally speaking of people, you know, it's, I, I guess I'll talk a little bit more about our roles. Jenny and mine have, you know, we have, our roles have changed. You know, Jenny and I used to make all the croissants ourselves on Sunday in the dojo, we would go in and before we had a machine or anything, and we would go in and roll everything out for the whole week in one 13 or 14 hour session in the freezing cold room. And <laughs> so, you know, and, and, but as we continue to grow and sell out and stuff and started to bring team members in, you know, we have started to, our, our, our roles have shifted in the sense that we, you know, are now focused on essentially two things like, you know, team building you know, because of the culture and what you felt when you walk in. I mean, you know, we make a decent croissant and a decent sourdough. Yes, it's true. But that's not really the core of the Isola experience, in my opinion. You know, it's how you feel when you walk in. It's, the, it's, it's everything. It's the food. It's the service. It's the hospitality. It's the whole experience. And so our roles, Jenny Mine, has really morphed into inculcating those values into the the leaders on the you know you know basically encouraging uh, you know leaders to grow up from within the team and to inculcate those values to them so they can perpetuate those those ideas and those concepts and we really protect you know protect the Isola culture both you know you know for guests and team members and then a lot of strategic you know development because you know I think that that's where other bakeries or other businesses sometimes struggle is, you know, you got a great baker, but they may not be a strong business person or they may not have that forward thinking uh, vision to go like, okay, I'm making these by hand now. And if we're going to grow this thing up a ways, how do I protect the culture, protect the quality and, you know, figure out how to, how to scale it. And and that's, you know, and, and so those two things are, are what Jenny and I spend, uh, you know, since the addition of Jeff, who you spent some time with today, you know, um, that's what we spend our time working on. You know, I'm thinking back to a previous unburdened leader guest, Wendy Colley, and she worked, <laughs> we were talking before we were recording about Starbucks. She actually worked for Starbucks in the early days. And she said, culture will eat strategy for lunch. And so just really appreciate everything that you just shared. And I, I want to also kind of talk a little bit about the environmental stewardship piece and kind of where you source your ingredients. You're very particular where your butter's from, where your flour is from. How do you decide where to invest in your product? What are some of the you know, things that you're looking to tick off the list to make sure that the businesses that you source from are aligned with your business values? For us, when it comes to our ingredients, it, it really just comes down to taste. What mm. is going to be the, the best tasting ingredient? It surprisingly is not always an organic ingredient. Um, though we do use organic milk, we use organic flour, but our butter is not organic. Um, we tested 17 different butters in a blind taste test. 
where the only differing difference from the process was the butter. The 17 different batches uh, to really narrow it down to the butter from Normandy that, that we currently use. And so 17. when we're talking about, yes. <laughs> so yeah. when I'm talking about a professional career in, in eating, I, you know, that was a dream <laughs> for me. <laughs> You've arrived. Yeah. 17 different types of croissants. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, and now her, her professional eating career is being elevated. and I'm dragging her off to Amsterdam to uh, uh, to continue her professional eating career to taste test um, a croissant uh, automation line uh, tests uh, as they uh, basically to taste test croissants as they come off the line with our recipe uh, on a, an amazing uh, a, a automated croissant line. You know that's in the Netherlands that we we're considering for our new our, our new Isola Main. Oh my goodness, that is going to be incredible. I cannot wait to hear how that chip goes. We make these choices, even though they are not necessarily, they're definitely not the cheapest. I mean, for example, we, and you probably noticed that when you were in today, there is almost nothing disposable that you were served on today. You know, our plates, our glassware, our knives, our napkins, we launder napkins, you know, and so you know, I noticed that, you, you know, because that just takes so much out of the waste stream and, and even looking forward into the new Isola Maine and Isola Maine, just to kind of to bring your readers with us is, is our new dough innovation center and, and, and bake shop that's uh, in, in design right now. That'll be about five miles away. And so, for example, we're going to incorporate, you know, full on automated material handling. Well, what does that mean? You know, that means that we could pull a semi truck up full of organic flour and hook a hose up to it and suck it all up out of there and into a silo. And, and every year that will take 25,000 pounds of paper out of the manufacturing stream. I'm not talking about recycling. I'm talking about those bags will never be made. Wow. And so, you know, yeah. So stuff like that, you know, strategic, expensive, you know, uh, you know, high capital costs. And that's one of the reasons we've been raising, you know, raising some capital um, out there. And, you know, because we're building, you know, we're building, you might think of it as the factor of the future, you know, which enables us to, you know, the productivity of our workers to grow up, which enables them to get paid more and enables our profit margins to go up too. It's not convenient. It's not efficient to do something, to do all the work and the research. And like you mentioned, there's a cost in that, but to not do it, the cost is greater. Yeah. So yeah. I really, I really appreciate your example, and I cannot wait to see Azola Maine yeah. um, as it comes to fruition. So speaking of that, you just wrapped your second round of grassroots investors funding, now totaling over a million dollars. What led you to growing your company through this avenue, Jenny? Do you want to start off on that? We didn't actually start out even wanting to seek investment. We would, um, we actually started to have customers come by and ask about our future and ask about how they could get involved. And as we started going down that path, you know, we've had a couple of professional investors come through interested in, in, in helping you know, craft the future of Isola. As we learned a little bit more about that more traditional way of, of raising funds, it just didn't feel like the right fit for Isola. Um, because it really is available only to a select few, you know, SEC rules, there are minimum income requirements. And Jeffrey had actually stumbled upon this new platform 
um, which he can he can share with you more details on that. But with the new platform where we did raise our our million dollars was it allows us to really tap into the Isola community and it allows anybody to invest. And that was what we really loved about it. For as little as a thousand dollars, you would be able to participate. And so that immediately felt like the right fit for us. That's incredible. Jeffrey, yeah. did you want to expand? Yeah. A couple of things. So the we are raising our capital through a, a, a regulation CF or crowdfunding um, equity raise. And that's uh, regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And so you might think of it kind of like Kickstarter, but you actually get something for your money. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, you know, the people who invest will own, you know, own a piece of Isola, own a piece of the company, and they will be subject to the same potential gains and or losses, i.e. lose their entire investment, just like Jenny and I, uh, you know, are subject to. And so, you know, and just philosophically, it lined up well, because as Jenny said, you know, effectively to be a non-CF crowdfunding investor, you've already got to be rich. You know, you have to have over Mm -hmm. $250,000 in liquid assets over and above your home, you you know? And so, you know, we just, that didn't sit right with us. And so uh, out of 252 investors, there are only seven that are not Isola customers. And so we have 252 partners at Isola and, 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 you know, 245 are, are all our Isola customers. So we're very, very proud of that. I mean, I think there's something to be said from just thinking about that from your roots of starting and just how the word spread, but that theme of community keeps coming up and the experience and the care, that's such a powerful theme. And I know that that captivated me when I first heard about your company and also almost a bridge almost to the social justice piece too, because even how you're how you chose to do funding, it didn't move it out to an elite few. Um, but you know, I, I wonder too, even with how you are crowdsourcing, some folks are like fun financing, bread, social justice, that's a stretch. How, how do we how do we bring all that together? You know, and I I mean I see it, but I mean I think a lot of folks just maybe because things are I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, we fight cynicism and um, at least I have to fight it on a daily basis and some folks roll their eyes, but there's something about this business that really, you know, is digging to, into the people. Can you talk a little bit more about the community funding this and how that connects to your commitment to social justice? For me, you know, I think that everyone should have the opportunity to earn some money, you know, by investing or to lose some money by investing. And and so for me, it's just like, you know, everybody gets to play and, and you know, we'll see how it turns out, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think it's kind of paternalistic in some ways to be like, oh no, you can't do it, but only these folks who've got this can do it. And I understand the purpose of the laws and they're to, you know, uh, you know, to protect people from getting swindled or getting in over their heads or whatever. So the great thing about this is that, you know, the minimum, the minimum investment's a thousand bucks. And so effectively anybody who wants to can, you know, and, and, and that's it for me is like giving people the, ch- the choice. A lot of people don't, you know, we've got a lot of customers and a lot of people are like, no, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. And I'm like, you're probably smart. And so I, you know, come on in I'll give you a free croissant. Um, and, and, but f- for us, we 
just want to, and it's the same way we run the space. You know, we want to make fertile ground for people to come in and it doesn't matter what you look like, who you love, where you come from, you're welcome. Mm. What just, what just happened there? What just, what did you just feel as you shared that? You know, I grew up, uh, I grew up in, in a kind of a rough town and, you know, it was not always easy for me, uh, you know, you know, I'm a queer kid from a farm town and, you know, I, I basically had to fight my way out of that town. And so, you know, I have felt like an outsider for most of my life. Isola is a place to make sure that nobody feels that they're an outsider when they come into, come in contact That's for sure. with what you both That's created. for sure. Because mm. if you and- think of a pain in the ass about food quality, you know, wait till you see somebody, you know, threaten threaten what we've got going in Isola. Because you will have a handful. <laughs> yeah. Has that happened? Has someone tried to threaten what you have going? For sure. You know, we've got people coming in, you know, sometimes and being rude to the staff. And, you know, you know, I, I, I politely but forcefully escort them out. You know, I won't tolerate it. I won't tolerate it. People being treated poorly, uh, anyone, you know, and and. and it, it, like I said, you know, I, I feel like it's a safe place. You know, we've got, you know, black families hanging out with, you know, with their families next to old ladies who can barely get up the stairs. We have to like strong arm them up the stairs to do the tour you did today because they can't walk up those stairs, you know. So it's just it's just we will, we will not tolerate any sort of, you know, bad behavior in there. I, yeah, I also wanted to share why we uh, named the bakery Isola. Um, because I think it very much illustrates, um, you know, the background and, and what Jeffrey and I are are trying to create here. Isola was named after his grandmother, and she, you know, I was not fortunate enough to meet her, but I have heard so much about her, and from what I have heard, she provided that sp- safe space for Jeffrey as a kid, on, you know, on the farm, um, and she was that welcoming open door that anybody could walk through and stay and linger for as long as they wanted um, and to, to feel welcome. Um, and so it really is quite an honor every day to be able to say her name yeah. um, in a space like, like Isola. And one just for a kin, you know, if you are a neighbor or stop by or a stranger, she'd invite you into the table and pour a cup of, you know, a terrible Folgers coffee, but, uh, and serve a really nice piece of pie, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Folgers Coffee. So you both are really continuing uh, Isola's legacy, uh, literally. Sands the Folgers. Though. And you're scaling it. <laughs> Minus, yeah, there's Folgers is not within like a 10 mile radius, right? Of <laughs> your space, hopefully. Yeah. Um, no, I really appreciate that. I really, I really appreciate that. Thank you both um, for sharing some more of the heart behind Isola. Leading is hard. (laughs) Leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values, your mission, your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence, clarity, and calm. Now, I know you don't mind making the hard decisions, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. 
finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Now, leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is actionable and aligned. So when the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then unburdened leader coaching is for you and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than the status quo. To start your unburdened leader coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. I want to shift a little bit more to the two of you. I mean, this is an occupational hazard, but as a, you know, as a 20 year veteran psychotherapist and leadership coach, I'm always noticing when couples go into business together. Um, And I'd love for you to share what a typical day is like for the both of you, along with what intentions and boundaries support your decisions around roles and responsibilities as you navigate running a business and leading your team and caring for your relationship. Jenny, better kick this one off. (laughs) All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, you know, I I, um, I think it's interesting that you're a psychotherapist, uh, Rebecca, because often Jeffrey and I credit our relationship to therapy. Mm. We started our relationship, um, you know, both of us going to therapy from the very, very start um, and dedicating that time every single week to myself really helps everybody around me understanding where I'm coming from, what my fears are, what my goals and dreams are, only helps my relationship with Jeffrey. It helps my relationship with their team members. It helps my relationship with our customers at Isola. And so we say often, had it not been for for our, our you know our therapist Greg, we probably wouldn't be together. Um, and it's hard work. It's hard work to kind of look within and 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 face those fears. Um, and so we just, you know, we do, we do that every day, but, um, in a stepping away from that in terms of our relationship personally versus professionally, it is challenging. You know, the, the company takes up every single day, you know, Sunday through Saturday, the, the entire week we're working on it. And so naturally we find ourselves at the dinner table talking about the bakery and so we have had to make really conscious de- decisions to choose the times that are appropriate where maybe we, we choose not to talk about the business and really connect with one another, whether that means going to take our dog, Sam, for a walk on the beach um, while the sun is setting, you know, really just pulling ourselves away and reminding ourselves that by taking that two hours that evening to go and do that, whatever we would have accomplished in that two hours at our desk 
it can wait until tomorrow. Um, mm. And so that has been hard for us to learn, but I think we've gotten a lot better at it. Um, so just really carving out that very purposeful time for one another. Mm-hmm. That's essential. It's essential because yeah. the work will run your relationship to the ground if you don't create space away from it. So I love hearing that. What would you add, Jeffrey? Uh, you know, I, I, d- I don't have a whole lot to add to that other than, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose, you know, and so you can't drink at all. So you just you you just have to be like, shut the valve and just go away and just walk away from it, you know, and, you know, we, we're getting better at it and we've got a ways to go still. I was just talking to a friend about, you know, self-care yesterday and saying, look, you know, we, uh, you know, we want to teach the team to do it. We also want to, you know, engage in the practice more ourselves. And we're going to run some, you know, we're going to run some team building workshops down at the bakery and, you know, with the idea of helping people, you know, just kind of map their souls a little bit, you know, more. And, and I would also say professionally, you know, there has been, there's been a lot of learnings as well. You know, we just touched on how have we tried to really protect our personal, personal relationship, but professionally, you know, we have had, and we will continue to have disagreements and heated discussions, hmm. um, <laughs> right. Um, about, about the business. We don't always agree on everything. Um, and so we have also learned over these past, probably the past year, year and a half, how to have healthier conversations around it, um, to, to bring us and arrive at the decision that we want to take the, the business in. Um, so that it. has also been a learning for us too. Hey, a, a team, a couple that can navigate conflict and see it as an asset is going to not just survive, but thrive. So I love that. That's been a growth edge for the both of you. Um, on a, just a practical level, what is what is a typical day like for you, Jeffrey? You want to start? Not very exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we roll up, roll up. up out of bed pretty early. You know, between you know around five five thirty, um, and then just hit it. You, you know, and so just we, uh, you know, just we just go as you know as as far and long as we can because you know to find our way, you know, in each of these tasks, whether we're designing the new building or you know, just developing more sustainable packaging that's getting manufactured in China to figuring out how to, you know, bring the 401k plan to our, our, our team members, because we think that it's absolutely crucial for these 20 year olds to sock away some money, because then by the time they're our age, you know, they got a half a million or a million dollars, <laughs> you know, so, uh, and I will say that, you know, sometimes it's easier to keep going than it is to, you know, to make that transition and transition to, you know, personal time or dog time or physical exercise time or whatever. And so, you know, that's one of the things at least I'm working on is like, is I don't want to say hiding behind it, but just like be more proactive and just being like, boom, done. I'm taking the dog for a run, you know, and you know, the, the, the to-do list with 68 things on it, still going to be there in the, you know, later today or tomorrow or whenever. And, you know, same with Jenny, it let's is. go to dinner, let's go to dinner, let's go for a walk, let's go to the beach, let's hang out, let's, you know, watch Vikings. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty pleasure of ours. Vikings and chocolate, you know, it's a good, yeah. great guilty pleasure. So it's like rolling out of bed, going hard, crashing, repeat with some structured boundary time where you take a break from the work and really focus on each other or on yourselves. And 
Like that's how you do it, especially when you're in the phase you are with growing and expanding a business for sure. And I'm so curious too, I'd, I'd love for listeners to know a little bit more about your previous work experiences and studies and how they influence and support your work growing Isola today. Yeah, sure. So I've spent my entire career in e-commerce from the Bay Area. You know, I got to see the big startup boom, both, both booms. Um, and in, my career has been in merchandising for e-commerce companies. So that's product development, brand development. And so while very far from the bakery industry, you know, it has definitely um, served us well here at Azola in terms of uh, uh, some of the key areas where you'll see kind of that experience really coming into play are the, you know, the way we, that we forecast our product. Mm. So if you talk about, you know, we're talking about environmental justice and we think a lot about wastage. So we we forecast every single day um, down to the unit as to what we're expecting to sell for that day. Um, and, you know, for the past several months, we have unfortunately been selling out every day um, just because of the demand. But prior to that, even prior to, you know, us being at like peak demand, um, we were only at about 3% wastage for the, for each day on average because we wow. forecasted, we forecasted the, the, the demand. And yeah, it, you know, it's something that I was super proud of because in this industry, it's in the double digits and, you know, it's usually in the 20s. Exactly. So. Yeah. So, wow. um, you know, that has definitely been a, a great impact on, on the business, me being able to just really forecast the business, um, and put processes in place that allow us to really manage the day to day logistics of baking hot from the oven. So we're baking live as we're open. We don't bake everything out overnight like a typical bakery is doing. And so we're baking in much smaller batches. And so we need to forecast by the hour, you know, what our, what, how many pruders do we have by the hour and what items are they? What is our anticipated walk-in demand so that the bakers know exactly what to put in the oven at what time? Um, and then we're calculating uh, down to the unit, you know, what is available at that moment at, at 8.07 a.m. when you walk into the bakery, what can our front of house staff offer to you um, and, and and sell to a customer? I lucked out today. I lucked out today, let me tell you, and scored with my favorite treats. But man, that forecasting is both an art and a science. It's very dynamic. And so to get down to 3%, that's incredible. I almost, the way my my system works, I'd almost be competing. Like, all right, how do I get it to 2.9? <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be just driving myself. I get so into those numbers. So I, that's really exciting. Jeffrey, uh, you, in researching your background from Midwest, raised on the Midwest on a farm, I saw in one interview that you actually went to school to get into engineering, then switched to photography, and now you're running Isola. Talk to me how all of those experiences, you know, influence and support your work growing Isola today. For sure. And and, and I have to say, before we do that, I just want to put a little kicker on to what Jenny said in the sense that, you know, Jenny is a, a very modest person. And so, uh, you know, she effectively single-handedly built what I call as the Isola operating system. And so in addition to this forecasting, it, it controls where, uh, you know, 5,000 pieces of pastry are all along their four-day process. So if you think about it, it's like launching an arrow and then you come in and put your, air, your order in and that the flight path has to deflect while it's in flight. 
And so, you know, it, it's it's absolutely mm. key to our ability to take care of the customers customers we do have in the way we do, in the sense that it's almost like the worst of both worlds. You know, we are not doing like a bakery, typical bakery, baking it all out at two o'clock in the morning and then just putting it on the counter. That would be easier. We're also, we have a product that takes, you know, a loaf of bread for us takes um, 40 to 42 minutes. And so we can't wait until you come in and order it either like a traditional restaurant where you come in and order, you know, a bowl of ramen and it's ready in 10 minutes. And so we have to guess, maybe guess is the wrong word. We have to forecast <laughs> So we have to forecast it and, and we have to know that you, Rebecca, are going to come in at, you know, whatever you came in at what, like eight thirty, nine nine o'clock today. We have to guess that you're going to come in and we have to start that. You, we have to start your bread at, at seven fifty for you. And oh, so, wow. and if we don't, so it's like, there's no bread for you. Forecasting is like, like fancy guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And tracking <laughs> right? it. And, I mean, there's it there, but then there's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, so it's it's amazing. Like, yeah, you know, there is no other. You know, we have a screen for the bakers that tells them which serial numbers of trays to grab next to feed the right flow. You know, there. You know, once it comes back out, that data is entered in. You know, they click good, and basically it goes to the, the screen on the front of the house and adds those twelve croissants that just came out to the total available. But before it does that, it subtracts out the six for your pre-order and, and goes, you only get six for the front of house because these six are already for Rebecca. You know, so anyway, I won't get it too far in the weeds, but all I can say is that, you know, Isola exists today because of the work that Jenny has done, you know, really incredible work and that most people will never see because they just walk in and there's like this amazing hop from the oven bread and pastries. Thank you for going into that more, you created some beautiful visuals for that too. So thank you so much for circling yeah. back. I really do want to hear what more your journey has been eclectic, but it seems like everything that you have done is is feeling Isella today from growing up in a farm town to studying engineering to running a photography business <laughs> to today. Yeah. So tell me more how you see those experiences supporting your work growing Isola. Yeah. I think you might say that everything I have done up to this point is leading me to where, you know, to the skill set that, you know, that I'm using at Isola right now. So if we back it up, growing up on a farm, you know, I learned an incredible amount of, you know, scrappy, can do, moxie, I can fix this, you know, we can do it. Because right? that's just the way it is on the farm. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. You know, you know, and so you just, you do, you do it yourself. If you want something fixed, you fix it yourself. And so and people are often like, well, how do you know this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know it. You know, I didn't know how to bake. I just got the recipe from the back of the flour bag. And I'm like, well, we can launch a bakery. I can make bread, you know, I can make a croissant, you, you know, um, when the air conditioner breaks, you know, I get my little tool set and I go over there. And if I don't know what to do, I watch a YouTube video and I try and try and try and you know, and sometimes I can't fix it, you know, but nine out of 10 times I can, you know, and so that's really, that's really helped propel and accelerate us, you know, that part of it, you know, and the engineering kind of follows right on that. I'm able to, you know, the design of the new Isola main, you know, effectively, I put it together with paper and scissors and tape, and then the architects and the kitchen designers put it in AutoCAD, you know, so that's how we that's how this new building has gotten designed. You know, it's like, you know, it's like because our system is so idiosyncratic that it doesn't follow 
it doesn't follow any of you know the typical ways that bakeries are designed. And I mean, if you look at and and I know your readers won't be able to see that, but you know all it, all of that stuff on that blueprint. It's it's just like I just cut it out. I call people in Europe and they're like, we can't do that. And I'm like, well, I think you can. You know, it, it does happen to be your equipment in your factory, but I'm pretty sure if you you did you can figure it out. And so sure enough, you know, now the tide has turned and people have figured out that you know I'm not insane. And also we've also started to get some recognition. <laughs> and so you know that also helps the momentum come. And so we've had we've had teams from all over the world fly in to visit us to propose to be our equipment suppliers. And we're leaving on Saturday to fly to Amsterdam to test our croissants on, you know, on the rot at the Rotomaker factory, you know, outside of Amsterdam. And, you know, they supply some of the biggest companies in the world with croissant making and and dough handling equipment. You know, and they just flew in here with three people to pitch us. And I said, yeah, that looks really great. And so let's let's try it. And so, you know, so the tide has turned, you know, on that. And then the photography you know, I have, I'm a very visual person. And so I, you know, I walk through the space and, you know, much to the chagrin of my assistant general manager today, you know, I had 13 notes for him, you know, before he arrived this morning of stuff that, you know, did not, you know, that I thought needed attention. And he's like, how did you find all this stuff? And I said, I just see it as I walk around. It's like, this can't be there. That can't be there. You know, we are able to do a lot of this ourselves and we're not afraid. And, you know, we bring some 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 visual some visual style to it as well. I also think that's a great example too of of the advantage of not being from the industry, mm. right? So we're not bound by the way "quote unquote" things are done because yes. we don't know. We have no clue, and so we're looking at it through fresh eyes and asking why why couldn't it yeah. be done um, hot from the oven? Why wouldn't we do it that way? We know now why <laughs> it's hard. Um, it's hard to do that, but had we known how hard it was, we probably wouldn't have done it. And, you know, and, and Jeffrey, you know, challenging these different manufacturers and vendors on, on new ways of, of creating, you know, a, hand, a croissant that looks like it's been handcrafted. That's not anything they've ever considered before, but to him, why, why not? Why wouldn't a machine be able to do it? <laughs> It's almost like everyone that you've been interacting with, you're calling calling them up because you don't you're like you don't know all the the shoulds and the have tos from a system that's kind of maybe even operationalized creativity out of things to make it systematic and efficient. You know, you're coming in saying, let's do it and proving them wrong in the best of ways. So that's exciting. And that also, that, that takes some guts too. That takes some guts. I appreciate that. And I'm from the Midwest and I grew up in Minnesota. And one of the things I learned early on is I, I have such respect for farmers and everything you detail just reminded me, even some of my friends I grew up with and just what I watched and listened to growing up where there were still family mm-hmm, farms mm-hmm. around um, and and that there isn't this is just your job and not anything else. And you you can't take no for an answer when so much is on the line. So um, I, I really appreciate those roots that are, are driving things today. I, I'd love to, to wind up our conversation talking about how you both view success, especially in the context of your work at Azola today. Like, what does success look like to you and now? And how is it different from what you were taught? Jenny, do you want to kick it off? For me, I think it's just getting back up um, after mm. I've been knocked down. Um, 
these past two years have been incredibly scary for me. You know, just every big milestone we've hit have have been for me filled with fear. Like, can I do it? Is it going to be too hard? And then, but once we actually just put one step in front of the other, it really isn't as bad as I or as fearful as I as I think of in, in my mind. And so, the moments I'm most proud of myself is when I've gotten back up and brushed brushed myself off and just go at it again the next day. And that certainly differs from what, you know, the, the kind of perspective I had growing up. Growing up, it was about getting straight A's, you know, knowing how to take a, take tests, knowing how to study, get into a good college, get a great career going um, at a big corporate company. And, you know, and I did that and I've loved it. And, I, you know, it, but, um, but that was how success was framed as I was growing up was the sort of metrics of, you know, what kind of job could I get and what kind of income would I have and, and not about what I was able to, to accomplish personally myself in terms of how much I was able to push myself each day. Mm. Yeah, there really is a powerful measure of success and how we rise when we get our butts kicked and we have face down moments. So yeah, really appreciate that. How about you, Jeffrey? You know, I am really driven by, you know, the experiences people have at Isola. And like I said, when I, when I looked down from that third floor window, we were lowering those first few baskets down and I would see people that pull the box out and like get in there and start eating it. And, you know, their eyes, their head would tilt back a little bit and their eyes would close a little bit. And I'm just like, I'm like, boom, there's another one. And so, you know, I guess, you know, for me, that's, that's success. And, and all it's so incredibly simple you know, all, everything else funnels, just funnels to that. And that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the measuring stick for every single decision that we make, you, you know, is, is how does it affect that customer experience? That's it. How is that different from what you were taught about success? I'm very fortunate to have the parents and mentors and family that I do, you know, as they, you know, I, I graduated with an engineering degree and and the day that I graduated, I'm basically like, and I'm going off to become a photographer. <laughs> and so off I went and, uh, you know, subsequently was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> and, you know, my my family's measure of success and, and, and what I inculcated in it, you know, was like you do something that you believe in and love. And, you know, whether you're rich or poor, or, you know, it's all good. Mm. And, and we got your back, too. And so you know, when I made those big pivots, even like this, you know, it's like, I know that no matter how bad I screw up the Isola Bakery, you know, the family's like, my family's there, you know? And so, you know, mm. we need to borrow some money, you know, to buy this piece of land, you know, cause you got to put down a fair chunk and I didn't have it, you know, and you know, my family stepped forward and just, they just wrote me a check, you know? And so that kind of, wow. you know, I sit on the shoulders of giants yeah again continuing their legacy thank you yeah. for sharing that as as a parent i'm just that's resonating with me deeply and my kids are obviously you know focused on the grades and they're blessed with incredible brains and skill but wanting them to know we've got their back what do they yeah. want to do um and if you fall and change, I know it's probably like the, mul I don't know which career pivot, but at this point, my family, whenever I'm like, hey, I'm doing this now, they're like, you know what? We know whatever you do, we know you've thought it through and 
we're, we can yeah. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, before they were like nervous about it. And now they're like, eh, <laughs> who figured it out? So thank you for sharing that. Jeffrey, Jennifer, I guess this has been a real honor. So I'm really thankful for this time. Where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you both and the Isola business and community? Yeah, probably the, the best place is, you know, www.izolabakery.com. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of the center of it all. You know, from there, you can find our Instagram, which is also Isola Bakery. But, you know, um, you can see our blog, which is a kind of backup, backup of previous posts that we've made. And, you know, if you're interested in investing in the financial stuff, there's a link to the main invest investment portal off of that. And so, yeah, ordering too. You could order some food too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'd love for you both to come back once you are in your new space and give us an update on what you've learned and what you're creating, um, because we've got a lot to learn from you. So thank you again for taking your time today for this conversation. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Rebecca. That was so much fun. Yeah, good times, man. We hope you come back anytime to the bakery and feed you some more. And Maybe we could do a live broadcast from inside the bakery. You know, you could talk to some of the team too. That would be fun. Have them filter through somehow. Consider it a plan. Thank you both. Thank All you right, so cheers. much. Okay. Before you leave, I want to reflect on this episode and so many bits of wisdom both Jennifer and Jeffrey shared today. Now, they reminded us the power of stepping out of the traditional ways of doing things when they saw a need and had a vision. So many systems and structures hunker down on the ways things have been done and send the message, doing something different is not possible. Jeffrey and Jennifer took those no's and the you can'ts as a creative challenge instead of a final stop. And they also modeled the power of taking the time to follow the numbers while testing and innovating. The two of them are a powerful merger of gifts. And I love how they got into a space where they had no experience directly with the baking industry and also have hired so many people who are new to the baking industry. Now I value experience and expertise, but gosh, we often miss how the skills and experience can cross over in unique ways and how we can look for other qualities and ways people can learn and add to a team, which welcomes in possibility and opportunity. So after listening to this interview, I'm curious, what is stirring in you right now that you may be talking yourself out of? And how can you be a better support to those around you who are innovating, disrupting, and creating in ways that support the greater good? Jeffrey and Jennifer remind us the power of doing their own inner work so they can take action on their relentless curiosity and their commitment to not putting themselves or anyone else in a box. And this is the work of an unburdened leader. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Unburdened Leader. And if this episode was meaningful to you, I'd be honored if you took a moment to subscribe, download, and leave a review and a rating. These things matter and help this show reach more people. You can also find this episode, show notes, and free Unburdened Leader resources along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com. 